0: the Seattle Mama Doc podcast and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood and often we may not feel we're doing it well enough. Parenting is a high stakes job but I'm here to help you face these challenges head on. I have one of my most Favorite mentors and advisors, Dr. Maida Chen. She comes with all sorts of accolades of titles and important things. But number one, she's a mom of three. She's a pulmonologist, so she's a lung doc. But she's also a sleep expert. She's the director of the Pediatric Sleep Center at Seattle Children's. And she's been my go-to for like five or ten years when it comes to what's the data on sleep, how do we understand it, and how do we help people get a little bit more rest and feel great about it. Maida, thank you for being my very first guest on the podcast. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks. I want to just let you know out there in the ether that Maida is sitting in front of this beautiful yellow wall and she looks spectacular and I'll put the photo online. So just imagine that we're having this great time. But what we really want to talk about is, you know, why is it that babies wake up at night? Like earnestly, why do they wake up? What's normal? What's not normal? And what do parents do that can help their babies? Both parents that believe in cry it out and parents that don't. And then how can we all get some rest? So we created 10 tips some time back, but if you were gonna say, Maida, if someone was just stopping you on the street and said like, why do babies wake up at night? What, What would you say? I think the most important thing for families to realize is that babies
1: do wake up. Everybody actually wakes up a little bit when they sleep. And really what it is, it's a transition between different sleep cycles, between REM sleep and non-REM sleep or dream sleep and non-dream sleep, lighter sleep, deeper sleep. And every time we shift from one of those stages to another, we have an awakening. A lot of adults are so very sleep deprived that they don't remember those awakenings and they just power through. But babies, they do wake up during that time, and a lot of it is really whether or not the families are signaled by that baby to do something about it. They may cry during that time because that's how babies communicate. Some babies are able to self-soothe at a very early age. Others are not.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point that I think you've helped me learn over the years that there are just good sleepers and there are challenged sleeper babies. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we all look at our neighbors and our friends and we hear these stories and it makes us like it wrecks us. Like if, if we don't have one of those really good sleepers, um, Let's talk about early infancy. So early infancy, babies, of course, leave the hospital, go home. They're really sleepy for a couple weeks, and then they wake up around two weeks of life. And I usually, you know, help support parents and families that, you know, babies are going to wake up every two to three hours to feed. Do you think it's hunger? Is it a combination of hunger and those sleep cycle changes triggering it? Or what's causing babies to cry every two hours in that early time?
1: So I definitely think there's a combination of hunger. We know that babies have small stomachs, they empty their food fairly quickly and they're ready to feed again in that period of time. I think the other part of it though really is that babies don't have a biological sense of day or night. Right when they're born, mm-hmm. that
0: takes several weeks to develop, and so that's. Yeah, I always like, say they're super jet lagged, right? Exactly. Like they walked around like we walked around with them in our bellies, and they were like sleeping like logs. And then at night they were like doing gymnastics, right? Right. So,
1: and so, really, I think you're going to have a lot of parents who perceive that their babies are poor sleepers if those frequent two to three hour awakenings are happening. What when it's dark outside and they're accustomed to sleeping as opposed to if it were happening during the daytime more so they would be less inclined to think that their babies were poor sleepers. So a lot of it is parental expectation and knowledge of that biology that babies just don't have a day or a night until at least several weeks of age.
0: Yeah and that, you just have to be patient and you get more and more tired as you're doing that. Well let's like kind of break it down. I'd love to think about you know we kind of wrote this content about 10 reasons baby wakes up at night. So sleep cycles one of them and we were just talking about that then in the beginning there's a combination of this day night reversal. There's um, needs and awakenings for hunger, probably, and then there's our own reactions of expecting these kids to think night is night. But let's talk a little bit about what happens between zero and six months, and that at six months, babies and their sleep cycles and their brains are really similar to like an 18 year old. So help, help explain that. So when babies are born,
1: their brain waves and the patterns of their waves when they're sleeping are really that of an infant in the sense that they are not mature, they're a little bit unorganized, and as they get older and closer to that six-month mark, they organize themselves and really get into a pattern that I would call sleep in terms of how we look at it in older kids and adults. They have really deep waves during sleep, they're clearly asleep, and they're able to maintain it for longer periods of time. And that's something that comes really with neurologic maturity more than anything else. But that's
0: at six months. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like ding! Like this is big like a reminder that our baby's brains are really mature sleep-wise at six months. it so can be and I think it's important to remember there's a lot of variation around that yeah.
1: but the overwhelming majority of children will have fairly similar to later childhood and
0: adult brainwave patterns by six months of age. So I just I love that knowing that those awesome babies who've learned how to self-soothe and maybe popped out those good sleepers at six months when they are sawing logs all night long going through those different deep wave kind of dead to the world sleep patterns and even the restlessness and maybe even the kind of rapid eye movement time, where they're a little bit more active, that they're really sleeping like bigger kids, and we can let them do that. Yes, absolutely. Some parents will come into clinic. Even this week, someone said to me, you know, I'm just nervous that she's not having another meal, you know, in the middle of the night. I'm like, no, if she's not waking, she's not hungry. Are you? (laughs) You know, so I think we can trust some of that maturity,
1: too. Absolutely. And I think that's where pediatricians are really helpful, as well as parental intuition. If your child is growing well, they probably don't need to eat every couple of hours at night after a certain age. Yeah.
0: I agree. So other things that, you know, we've chatted about is kind of, you know, that crying and crying's relationship to sleep. So, um, you know, it's extreme, we won't get so deep into this because it's extremely controversial in the parenting space. But I I think, I think we'd all love to hear some of your thoughts and, and I'll try to share some of my experiences about cry it out versus not cry it out. So, Let's just say, let's put on our hats that says, we believe in cry it out. Let's just, everyone listen in and just, no skepticism for a second. What's the right age? I mean, I tend to think about when babies have the developmental maturity to use their hands, to move their bodies, to roll over, to reposition, that if they've got their body and their mind and their habits at four to six months of life, that's the beginning of a time when maybe we could let them learn to cry it out. Um, What's your kind of guideline around the beginning of letting a baby learn how to self-soothe that involves some crying behaviors and and how to kind of kind of embolden the trust that families can have in letting their babies do something that kind of just makes us feel bad. I think that we all need to remember that crying is is the
1: initial way that babies learn how to communicate with their families. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but babies, when babies have learned that crying gets them something, that's a pretty good age to start Mm -hmm. thinking about the whole cry it out process. It's basically teaching them how to associate something besides crying with going to sleep. Yeah. And that's basically the association we're trying to create. I really would love if families who thought that they would want to do cry it out, if they started a little bit earlier and really started some of these good sleep habits and associations earlier. And in some cases it actually preempts the whole cry it out process anyway.
0: So so that's the kind of thing like at a month of age, you, let, you don't always let your baby fall asleep while breastfeeding. You don't always let your baby fall asleep in your arms. You say like, oh, she's so drowsy. I'm going to put her down when she's drowsy on her back in her crib and let her fall off to sleep on her own. Absolutely. I think it starts there, but really by six weeks
1: of age, I think it's a great idea to have a nightly bedtime routine. That baby may not pay attention to the routine at all, but one day the baby will sort of get it, get that this reading this book means it's time for me to go to sleep. But the baby's not going to tell you when that happens. Uh And so the idea is to be prepared for it when it does happen. And magically it may just happen without you even knowing.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, it goes along the guidelines that we now recommend babies get read to every single day from their very first day of life. And I think that's a great
1: habit to put together. The baby's not necessarily going to appreciate it right away, but it certainly sets them, that family, up for success such that a bedtime association is formed, and that's with a book. That's a great association.
0: Yeah, and those associations are rich and strong for all of us, right? That if you're racing home and you know bedtime's at 7.30 or 8 o'clock for your infant at some point, that you're thinking about, but I've got that 20-minute time, which is like the quick bath, the cuddle, the sit in the rocking chair, the book, the snuggle, and then back on their back to sleep. Absolutely. And I think going back to the question
1: about what's the right age for this to happen, I think a lot of it is also on the parents. At what point are the parents ready to do this and what point the parents are ready to recognize that either in a typical cry-it-out situation that they're done with frequent awakenings throughout the night, the child is old enough and healthy enough to go um, without feeding frequently throughout the night. And a lot of it is driven by parental expectation and what the parents are a lot of it is when moms go back to work, frankly. Um, And they realize just how very tired they are and how something's got to give.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that too, that, you know, the other side of this is right. I don't want to let my baby cry it out. It's totally anti my instincts, right? Some of us just feel like it rubs us entirely the wrong way. That's why Pantley's book, I think was so successful. The no cry sleep solution, right? Because it just gave a guide and a grid and a structure to, I don't want to let my baby cry. Here's a way to get through that. And you and I have talked about it, that, you know, that's okay too. Like your baby's going to be a great sleeper when they're six years of age, if they cried it out or not. It's just, how are, we, how are you as a, an adult caregiver going to function during that time? Are you going to be driving really tired? Are you going to have to drink a lot of extra coffee? Should you shift your start time at work if you know you're not going to really get to sleep until two in the morning to get your four or five hours? And
1: that's absolutely true. I think the whole concept in the past of being a mom who was able to really sleep when the baby sleeps and be awake when the baby's awake is one that doesn't exist in our culture, at least not in this country right now. Moms have to go back to work fairly quickly after the babies are born. And most of us don't live close enough to extended family where somebody else can take care of that baby or the other children. So it's something that we just really have to embrace as a culture and as a society now, that moms live in a different world. And so the expectation that a mom of a new baby would be able to sleep when the baby sleeps <laughs> is, is just it's a little antiquated in a yeah. lot of families and if you are in a family where that is something that can happen consider it a luxury and you absolutely may be able to not do something like cry it out and just co-sleep with your baby if that's really what you want to do without as many implications on your daytime function as another working family
0: That's great. So, you know, I think let's step away and and say, okay, we know babies wake up because we all do. Babies also have second cues from hunger cues to crying because that's the only way they really know how to communicate their needs. And then we know their developmental changes change their awakenings, right? So, why a baby wakes up at four months might be because they couldn't roll over or move and then they get frustrated in an awakening. At six months, they might be really learning how to sit up and in the middle of the night, they might just sit up in one of those awakenings and then, like, ding, they're like wide awake. And, you know, at nine months, is we know babies pull to stand. So if they're in a crib, they may start crawling on the side of the crib, right, and kind of alert themselves that way. Um Made it. T- talk a little bit too about are there other behavioral or developmental changes that you think parents should know about their infants where they might expect big shifts in their infant sleep? I think one big thing is childcare. Certainly, um, most children who
1: are in a childcare situation will start that somewhere between three and six months of age, yeah. at least typically in this country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of changes happen with that. First and foremost, there's exposure to germs. And so that baby yeah. getting sick. And we all know that childhood viruses are the bane of all of our existences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but that will really... Throw it's really away. bad to have a cold. It's really bad when someone in your house has a man cold. And yeah. then it's really bad when there's a baby cold. Like yes. the worst. Absolutely. Yeah. Because
1: then nobody in the household is sleeping. <laughs> and that will really throw everybody for a curb. Yeah. And
0: a lot of times,
1: less than optimal habits are formed during those times of stress and illness. And so yeah. that's something else to deal with. I think another thing that happens besides germs is also the fact that many babies will not sleep as well during the day in a daycare situation. Mm-hmm. And so then you're coming home to a kid who... probably needs to go to sleep the minute you get home at 5 or 6 p.m., really to make up for suboptimal napping during the day, and we all know that that just doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: we want to see our babies if we haven't been with them all day.
1: And a fussy baby and a tired baby, frankly, is one that's harder to put down to sleep, and so that's, again, going to be something that impacts that whole dynamic between a parent and their sleep-deprived child.
0: Yeah, so that's a good reminder as we kind of close it out to think, okay, babies wake up. Um, for all sorts of reasons, developmental, behavioral, crying, transitions in the architecture or the brainwaves of their sleep, um, what their parents do in response to them. So babies who have learned to cry it out, maybe stop awakening and. Maybe they keep awakening, right, but they don't cry as much later on. Um, and then infection can get in the way. Last thing is just I wanted to mention is just kind of the pacifier. So I think parents really wonder, especially expecting moms and dads, wonder what are they gonna do about a pacifier. And as you know, there's kind of some weak data to suggest that pacifiers may be partially protective against sudden infant death syndrome. Do you have any like kind of sound bites on that for us of what do you think about that data? Should we be giving our kids pacifiers? Should pediatricians be helping families do that? You think they get in the way of breastfeeding. Do you have any advice? I think
1: it's very individual, but certainly there are a lot of babies who are excellent breastfeeders who love binkies (laughs) and who love pacifiers. And so Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think that they're mutually exclusive or inclusive, but I do think that it's something that a pacifier becomes an association with sleep just like anything else becomes an association with sleep yeah. in terms of having that blanket or anything else and if you put your bed baby to bed routinely with a pacifier and they fall asleep with it at some point if you no longer want that to happen there will need to be a period of adjustment and so just re, you know that's yeah. my sort of tip for families to think about it where if it's helping you now Remember, we don't recommend pacifiers forever. And <laughs> at some point, you're going to want to stop it. And that is going to involve a process at some yes. point for most babies.
0: Well, and I went through, both of my boys use Passivirus, and I really wanted to get rid of, with my second, at six months, because that's a time when a baby can learn to grab something and put it in their mouth, right, at six months. So I say there's two really good times to get rid of PASI at six months before they do that, and then maybe around 18 months, when you just don't want to get to that two-year mark, when you start to get the buck teeth and the malocclusion. So, but it can be hard. I, You know, any habit, and the longer you do it, the harder it is to break, right? Absolutely, <laughs> and it may be a good
1: habit and a worthwhile yeah. habit yep. if it helps your baby sleep for a while. My only tip really is just to remember that at some point you will need to break it. Yeah.
0: Mina, thank you so much for helping us understand little babies, their parents, how we all would love to get a good night's sleep. Um, Any last words of wisdoms for those tired, tired people out there?
1: I think the best lesson we can teach our kids now is that sleep is important. And so if you want your child to learn that, you need to model it yourself.
0: Yes. You know, there's that great study just before we, that kind of looked and tracked parents, like at the water cooler the next day at work, kind of talking about how poorly their kids slept and what the data found. They put little trackers on these kids, and we'll maybe talk about this more in another podcast. But what they found is that it was the parents who didn't sleep well that thought their kids didn't sleep well. So this is a whole kind of ecosystem in our homes with our sleep. Well, thanks so much for helping us understand why babies wake up at night. And um, this is the Seattle Mama Doc podcast. The reality is parenting is a high stakes job but the good news is you've got this thanks for listening the seattle mama doc podcast episodes air every single week i'm always interested in hearing what you have to say what was helpful and what you want to learn more about reach out to me on twitter at seattle mama doc on my facebook seattle mama doc or at seattle doc.com tell me what you want to learn tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from